I want to give you a little bit of an elaborate concept today. Um, take your books and pass them down if you would. And take out your note cards. We're in this focus of, of really releasing God's kingdom in the earth in the way we love, in the way we serve, and in the way we give. And as we've looked at this over the previous few weeks, um, we talked about the effectiveness of loving and, and really what that is to come out of our heart as opposed to the response of what's going on around us. How many know you have the ability to rise above your circumstance? I just want to say that loud and clear. You have the ability to rise above your circumstance. And so what we don't want to do is give our circumstance control of our lives, control of our joy, control of our resources, but we rise above that and declare. Somebody today just needs to celebrate in the face of the enemy and declare the circumstances that surround you are not in control of your life, but it's the God that is within you. Greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Will you help me just hiss the enemy away today and declare an agreement in Jesus' mighty name? Engage your faith. We just want to release something today in agreement, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us. Let me just reiterate once again that we don't believe going to church should be like going to the movies where you're entertained. We, should, we believe it should be like going to the gym where we work out together and we gain strength as a result. So I want to kind of put you to work when we gather like this, praying and celebrating and releasing something. And I believe um, that's an important element for all of us because it does cause an atmosphere. It creates an atmosphere where we all break through more readily. I mean, you know, some giants need to be defeated and there's some breakthrough that needs to happen. But I want to just challenge you on a different perspective of that today. <clears throat> it's, it's a little bit elaborate, so I'm going to try and square it up as in, in the summary form as I can. We have a 9 o'clock pre-service prayer and, and rally time for all the people serving that day, and, and I shared this briefly there. I, I've heard it likened, the temporal life that we live, the century that we possess on the earth, is to eternal life that is forever, a long time, is resembling of the womb of nine months to this life. Okay, so in a sense... Temporal life that we live is the womb to eternity. This is preparation for real life. How many of you know this isn't real life? That's why you read all these verses, if you love your life, you'll lose your life, you lose your life, you'll gain your life. I mean, like, all this life talk, what's it talking about? It's talking about eternal life. That's the real deal. This is kind of practice. So the same thing, if we could talk to an infant in the womb in the course of nine months of development, we could say, I know you feel like you're living, but you're going to really launch into wide open spaces. You're going to breathe air in your lungs. It's, a, it's not like what you can understand or comprehend. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be very different. It's going to be very, you know, like, truly, you're going to run. You're like, you're confined, but you're going to run and you're going to be, you know, it's just going to be amazing. You're going to eat good food. You're going to have amazing food. It's America. You have amazing meals to look forward to. Great music you're going to hear. It's more than just that you're hearing through the wall of your mom's stomach. I mean, like you're going to hear and it's going to be brilliant and it's going to be amazing. How many of you know that a child in the womb could not comprehend if you could talk to that child in the womb and try to explain, they really wouldn't get what real life is. That's what's happening with us right now. Eternal life is beyond our comprehension. We can't get it. We can only get glimpses of it. But I want you to think about this, because Lexi, um, when she was born, she came early, like too early. Tracy laid in bed, not able to walk, 
uh, for a matter of weeks while we were trying to keep Lexi from showing up too early. When she was born, she was very small, about the size of a sweet potato. And, uh, and there she was, and she was underdeveloped in some ways, and it affected her life. Do you understand that part of the process, listen, part of the process of our walking through what God desires us to walk through in this temporal life is actually developmental years to prepare us for eternal life. And the last thing you want to do, if you'll just hear with your ears, like your spiritual ears today, the last thing you want to do is step into eternal life having been underdeveloped in the womb of this temporal world that you and I live. There are things God wants to develop in you to prepare you. This is a resemblance of what's to come. I don't even understand how, how to, to, to comprehend this, let alone explain it. It's deep theology when I start going into this. But what's going on in the world now is the resemblance of what's going to go on in heaven. We are going to spend all of eternity experiencing, exploring, and expressing the eternal nature of God. Do you understand that? That means the resemblance of that is happening here. People here are like there are some people that are called to be teachers of the word and, and you know different gifts that function. Somehow that's going to be an expression in eternity. Do you, do you catch what I'm saying? How we live our life now will determine our role in eternal life then. We are in the womb of eternity. Let's not live our lives in such a way that life is about this life and we wind up being underdeveloped when we step into eternal life. Your worship is important. <laughs> Your celebration, right, right now, you're right, that's a good thing for you to celebrate. Let's do that, church family. I need your help today as we declare this is a word we're going to release, we're going to embrace, we're going to grow, we're going to be strong. The problem is that the church, by and large, has reduced the whole message of the kingdom of God down to applying principles that help you live this life really well. And I just want you to know, God wants your life to flourish. He wants your life to flourish so much that this world cannot contain what he has awakened within you, and you yourself will carry it into eternity, and you will expand everything you deposit in the earth in the lives of other people. That's how much God wants you to flourish. And as we've been talking about this and we've been starting to get the picture of, I won't love just because somebody loves me. I won't serve just because it's convenient. I'm going to choose to allow something within me to strengthen me and empower me and awaken me to a motive that the world will not understand. And so the third word, love, serve, give. I want us to, to venture into this and get the picture of what God has in mind. Now, I, I have it later in my notes, but I just I want to tell you right now, I've really asked God to give me wisdom for this today. I'm going to venture into some things that I just normally have not, and, and I'm just going to tell you why. Fear. Fear. I, I, within myself, would wrestle and struggle with, should I really go there? How will the people, you know, what if they think? Anybody here ever had a dog that you rescued and it had been abused? And what's normal is you reach down and you pet a dog's head and the dog leans into that and likes it and you scratch the ears. But if it has been abused, what does it do? When you reach your hand down, it reacts, it winces, it tries to turn away. And listen, God's will is that we understand what it means for our soul to prosper. The word prosperity has been abused in the church. And, and I know when I start using the word and I reach 
out to the congregation. There's going to be, uh, 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 you know, that, that feeling that sits. But I have an obligation before God Almighty that we would get the truth of the gospel. And I will not fear. I will rise up and be bold about what God wants us, the church, to understand and embrace so that we can express it. And I just felt the Lord was asking me to step into this, this arena. And so, so let's press into what God's desiring to do. Giving is not as much an action as it is an attitude. Understanding and exploring the generous nature of God. That's your first blank. It's not as much an action as it is an attitude. It's a spirit of generosity. If you know somebody and they carry the spirit of generosity, everywhere they go, their focus is not on themselves. If you know somebody that's carrying a spirit that's the opposite of generosity, that would be stingy, that would be you know, self-absorbed, whatever you want to call that, they're not looking for ways they can make a difference. I, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but there have been times I have almost been generous and really regretted that I wasn't. Has anyone ever done that? The tip at the table, right? That's one of the main places that I've, I've found. That. I've been like, do I do that or do I do that? Or, or you know, whatever that may be. Somebody asks, hey, will you help with this situation? And I'm like, yeah, maybe I can help and I get almost really generous, but I don't, and then later I regret it. You know, there's never been a single time in my life that I've been truly generous and regretted it. You were born for generosity. You were born for this as a lifestyle. You were born for this to be awakened from within you regardless of what's going on around you. You were born not to let your circumstances hold your faith hostage. You were born to be strengthened in your faith as you understand worshipful giving as a process of God taking you where he wants you to go, releasing his kingdom in the earth the way he wants to release his kingdom. God's always trying to deal with what's going on in our hearts Because that's the key to dealing with what's going on in our lives. He's always trying to tamper with the world within us because that's where we find the power to change the world around us. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, here's that prosperity verse. I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. That's an important part of this. We get so focused on the first element of the scripture that we start chasing dollars and cents and proclaiming in an attitude of faith all the good stuff we can embrace in this world when the fact is all of that is actually not the pursuit. All of that is actually the result. The key here is that your soul prosper. The key here is that your inner man or your inner woman begin to prosper. The key here is that the world within you is being awakened to the purposes of God. And when that begins to happen, it will transform the world around you because the power of God within you has the power to transform the world, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the giant, no matter what the mountain, no matter what the problem, no matter what the doctor's report, no matter what the bill, no matter what it is coming against you, God's power is stronger within you. Come on, help me. I want to ask you to help me release this today. We're releasing something in the atmosphere in the name of Jesus. (laughs) I believe today we are team destiny. We are team destiny. You and I are called to release something into the atmosphere of this community. I don't think there's any accident that we are nestled up right here in Dell City, America. And and, and in Dell City, there's a mindset, an attitude. I was in a recent uh, forum, and some students from Dell City High came, and they they were talking about their challenges. And they said, you know, one of the greatest challenges of graduating from Dell City High is that that." 
you know, we kind of have a bad rap, a bad reputation right here in this part of the community. And I just want to say, God put us here on purpose. God put us here to cause this place to prosper. God put us here to transform our community. I'm not going to settle in to what somebody says is going on around me. I'm going to dig in to what God is doing within us. No matter what your circumstance may be, God can turn it around. He can transform your life. This is an important element in how we love. It's an important element in how we serve. And it's an important element in how we give. So I just want to talk to you about how this releases the kingdom. Not just because, like if we were to receive a big offering today, we would do something awesome with it. Would you agree? We would, like, make a difference. But it's bigger than that. It's much bigger than that. Ever since the very beginning... God has always established the plan for there to be a pattern of worship as an expression of your income that you bring before the Lord your God. It's always been a part of the plan. And it unlocks something powerful in the earth and in your heart. But but let me make sure you understand, from the very beginning of time, God always purposed that the sacred first fruits, that tithe portion, the, the tithe literally means 10% of your income. This is not about a law and a legalistic requirement. This is about a release to understand what God is desiring to accomplish in our lives. And always from the very beginning, God's always made this a part of man's plan for worship because how many of you know it takes faith? It takes faith to do what God has called you to do. You, Without faith, you are not going to live the life God has called you to live. He's not called you to simply have a faith. He's called you to live by faith. And we need to strengthen our faith every single day that we're on this planet, preparing ourselves for an eternal life God wants to release. It's a part of the developmental process while we're here. Your giving and your worship is a part of the developmental process of what God's trying to release in your life eternally, right now. And equipping and preparing for where that's going to take us beyond this life, beyond the womb of this life, if you will. So it really awakens something in our hearts, and I believe it awakens something in God's heart. Uh, One day, the girls and I were backing out to go to school, and they were single-digit age, pretty young, like eight, seven, something like that. And as we're backing out, Faith says, I mean, you know, kids say this often, I need $5. (laughs) And I said, well, what do you need $5 for? Another five, I mean, like $5 yesterday, $5 this morning, $5 tonight. You need $5 all the time. And so what do you need $5 for? And she said, well, we're doing this gift basket thing for kids in need, and the teacher asked us to bring $5. I said, great, you know, what are you going to do? And they say, kids in need, now they've got me. And so, uh, so I'm thinking, okay, $5. And, and I hear the rustling of the bag. And remember, the girls are single digit age. The rustling of the bag. I don't know where Lexi came up with it, but she found $5 in her backpack, and she said, here. Now, Dad, front seat, Daughter backseat, need $5. Other daughter backseat, here's $5. What's going on in dad's heart? Over the moon. <laughs> like I hit my brake and I said, did you just give her $5? She goes, yeah. I put the car in park and I went in the house and got a $20 bill and came back to the car and made a big deal in front of both the girls. And I said, look, 
I really appreciate your generosity, and I, I want you to know that when you learn the generous nature of God, he desires, something's going to happen in the heart of your Father God, just like something happened in my heart, and here's $20 for that $5 that you just gave. I was a little surprised that she didn't say, you want the 20 now? <laughs> you get this thing going. <laughs> but how many of you know that's just the heart of the Father? Do you hear what I'm saying? That's the heart of the Father. When we embrace the generous nature of God and we learn this worshipful expression of giving, not just being nice to people, but a worshipful expression of giving, bringing under the jurisdiction of the priesthood he's established in the earth. God wants this church to be financially strong so that it will outlive every one of us and continue to perpetuate the gospel to generations to come long after we're gone. That is our responsibility and our opportunity. Now, this is where it gets wild when you start to see this, and this is, this is what, I'm just telling you right up front, this is what's been so wildly abused, but it's reality, and we need to understand it. Genesis chapter 14, tithing is not just a thing of the law. I know a lot of people want to argue that. It's not just a thing of the law. Of course, it was included in the law, but Genesis 14 was before the law had ever been given. After the law, Jesus came. He said, I didn't come to do away the law. I came to fulfill the law, and he endorsed tithing. And then Paul, again, endorses tithing after Jesus. So this is a concept. It was in the Garden of Eden. There was a tithe or a sense of the sacred that God said, don't touch that. You understand, God's constantly trying to get us to honor that which is sacred and bring it under the, the, the care and authority of God Almighty. And when we do that, he blesses and releases from heaven in our hearts and in our lives. And I want you to see this because this is Abram, and he, he was blessed, and he said, blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram, this is Melchizedek pronouncing a blessing, the priest pronouncing a blessing over Abram, and it says, and, and Abram, and, and speaking of Abram, and he gave him a tenth of all. The priest said, you're blessed, you've increased, and how did Abram respond? He took the first fruits of that which had increased in his life, and he gave it unto the priesthood that was established in that particular day. That which would perpetuate out of heaven and the earth, he was helping to release finance into that. And, and, and then something wild happens. The very next verse, we divide this into chapters, but, but God didn't divide it into chapters. We just did that somewhere along the interpretation uh, journey. But the very next verse, chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, what things? What just happened? Abram gave. Abram got his heart in alignment with a worshipful expression of being generous according to the plan of God in the earth. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now, I know that can seem like a coincidence. After he got himself in alignment with the priesthood God was revealing in the earth, then the revelation came, and God said to Abram, I have a promise for you. I know you're getting older, and I know Sarah, she's not getting any younger, but I've got a promise for you. How many of you know we've heard about this promise? After these things, after bringing in a, a posture of humility and surrender of the heart to, to the heart of God, then God releases this blessing in the earth. And you could just say, well, I, you know, that, that's kind of coincidental, except we find it in other portions of Scripture. If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 
chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, very interestingly, Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings. He's bringing his, his giving as a worshipful expression under the priestly expression of the earth. And it says he, he offered a thousand burnt offerings. And verse 7, very next verse, in that night, God appeared to Solomon and said, ask what you want and I will give it to you. And we hear that story all the time. And it's wonderful because Solomon got it right, and he asked for the true treasure of the kingdom of God. And God said, because you've asked for the true treasure, you get it all. And I want to say to you, if you'll get your focus on your soul prospering, if you'll get your focus on the true treasure, then no telling what God will do in every direction to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west, and beyond you to generations to come after you because of you. Let's see God's kingdom expand in the earth. Barna does this research and talks about not projections of what will be, but what exists now. And I want you to hear how grieving it is when we hear this statistic. Only 6% of people claiming to be Christian practice the worshipful expression of tithing. Six percent. Now, how many know it's not easy to do this? It takes discipline and faith to do this. Tracy and I decided when we first got married, we were going to tithe and honor the Lord with that. Not because it was a legalistic requirement and the curse would come if you don't. I, I don't we don't believe any of that. But we believe this is a principle God's given us to awaken the blessing within our lives, just as we saw it happen with Abraham, just as we saw it happen with Solomon just as God wants to do in you. And this is where it gets abused and people start to take it and manipulate. And, and God help that in, in no way to be anything about what's going on in this place. I want you to think about if the enemy can keep Christians from getting a hold of this principle. Let's just talk financially in the world for a moment. If Christians in North America tithed for one year, it would produce $143 billion into the kingdom. How many of you know that could do some damage to the kingdom of darkness? But we've got to see this for what it is. Just one year, if Christians in North America, I mean, like God's entrusted a lot to our care here, one year, if we tithe one year, $143 billion. $30 billion solves world hunger all over the planet. Did you hear that? There were parents holding their starving children last night while the parents were themselves starving. I know we're in America, so we don't think about those sort of things very much. But that's real life in a lot of places in the world. It's an awful thing for humanity to starve to death. We deal with hunger in the U.S. to many degrees that we don't even really understand. It's part of why we do the summer food program for families that you know usually get free lunch during the school year and we put those boxes of food and help partner any way we can. But I don't know if you heard me, $143 billion if Christians in North America tithe next year. $30 billion solves world hunger. That would leave us $113 billion 
to have a celebration party that we stamped out world hunger. If we said, you know, let's do something a little more responsible than that, how about we solve the number one killer in the world? You know what the number one killer in the world is? Contaminated water. The UN gives these stats and numbers and predictions and projections. $10 billion solves the number one killer all around the planet. $40 billion of $143 billion solves world hunger and the number one killer of humanity in the planet. Do you think we might actually have the keys in our hands, in this nation as Christians to really transform our world, and we allow ourselves to get so self-absorbed and self-consumed with our own bills and our own payments and our own structure of how we can make our own life so much of what we hope it will be, and we're very underdeveloped eternally as a result. You see how all this ties in? Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. The purpose of this worshipful expression of the first fruits of increase is to teach you to always put God first. Like you come back over, it's not easy. You, you, have, to, like you have to come face to face with writing the check or giving online or putting it in the box, however you do it. You have to come face to face with it. Every time you increase, am I going to do this? And it teaches me constantly, come back, put God first, and it builds my faith and it strengthens me because there are battles ahead that I need this faith to be developed within me. And when I get to those battles because I've honored God in this, I'm stronger to conquer those giants and take other people with me through enemy lines. This is part of the plan. God knows that practicing generosity as a regular expression of worship will activate something incredibly healthy in your life. That's why psychologist Dr. Carl Menninger says, generous people are rarely mentally ill. Isn't that interesting? Generous people are rarely mentally ill. See, shortly after World War II, American soldiers spoke of great sadness as they walked through war-torn cities of Europe seeing starving orphans in the streets. And this one soldier told a story, and it was so um, striking to me when I read this, but as he was walking along, he saw a little, little boy with his nose pressed against the glass in a pastry shop. The child was starving, orphaned child, starving, watching them make pastries. And the soldier was so moved he walked over to the little boy and he said, would you like something from in there? And the, the little boy looked at him and said, would I? And he said, just a moment. And he goes in, buys a dozen pastries, comes out with a bag of a dozen pastries that he easily acquired that seemed impossible to the boy. And he said, here you go. And the kid's face was, he, he described it as just so lit up. And the soldier turned to walk away. And the little boy grabbed his coat. And he said, Mister, are you God? And you and I are never more like God than when we give. We really do have the capacity and the ability to leave the world a better place. But we have to be willing to surrender to that. And so part of what we do each year this time of year is we look at the next year, things that we want to try to accomplish in ministry expression in our community, 
and in many communities of the world. So you see the little cards on your seats as you came in. I just want to ask you to take that with you today. You don't need to do anything with it unless you've already gotten that in the mail and you know decided what you want to do. But all we're asking the church family to do next Sunday, we're asking everybody just to simply pray about what you know God is asking you to do in your giving for 2018. And if you'll just come prepared to express that in an attitude of worship, I mean, it's an attitude of faith, saying I'm believing God that I'll have the ability to do this. But you're, I'm not asking you what to do. I'm just simply asking you to do something that you know God is asking you to do as a worshipful expression of serving, loving, and giving Him. We're going to watch a video next week, and we're going to see a little bit of the year in review. There's been a lot going on on this campus. Tonight, there's going to be a lot going on on this campus. Now, all these community events and everything that God's called, He just called us to make sure the community knows we're here we want to help, we're available, we're engaged, we're involved. We're not just sitting here hoping people come in. We're sending people out into various places and roles of ministry leadership and partnership in the community. And it's been wonderful, 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 but there's more. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that process as we make projections and start to evaluate as a group of leaders, all right, what can we really plan for in 2018? And let's believe God. Can I just say, Destiny family, let's believe God for God's kingdom to expand next year as we love, serve, and give like we've never loved, served, and given before because of what God is doing within us. He will change the world around us. So, Lord, we invite you to do what you desire to do within us, that our soul would prosper. That our soul would prosper. And I pray, Lord, that today that we would have a sense that you're mightily at work in these moments we have together stirring things within us, putting some things back together, putting the pieces back together in some of our lives. I thank you, Lord, you're so able as we respond to you. In the name of Jesus.